now, it's Gardening Talkback with gardening specialist, Scott Sharp. Welcome to Gardening Talkback on 2 RFM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp. Scott, great to see you back once again. Thank you, thank you. That's a sexy new introduction we've got there. Brilliant, isn't it? It is. Uh, production values on that very high. <laughs> it's, it's a top shelf. We reach for the top shelf for that. <laughs> very good. It took a whole afternoon to mix up. It sounds like it. Scott Sharp, thanks for coming back once again. How was your w- away, trip away? Oh, I love it. Down for the snow, a bit of skiing, all was well. I came back, look at me, I haven't broken anything, so that's the main thing. Exactly. Yeah, nothing's it's, torn. Maybe, except for your soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, what do you got for us today? Well, I thought we'd talk about uh, clover in your lawns because it's starting to uh, come up a bit. Uh, if you want to get your tomato and basil in, those warmer days possibly, and uh, birds' nests and deciduous plants. We'll have a talk about that as well. Birds' nests? Yes. Now, Scott, you mentioned earlier at the top about clovers. Yes, we did talk about clovers. It's coming up in people's lawns at the moment. So it's not just... Can't you get wishes off clovers? Oh, they bring, no, they bring you good luck. That's the four-leaf clover, isn't it? Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah. So I think if you have a search around in your patch in your lawn, you're probably going to find some of those, and you can you know, bring the leprechaun down, and he'll do his job for you, and you'll win the, I don't know, the, the millions of dollars on offer this week and the various lotteries that are out there. Well, you might just have a lucky weekend. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Everything might turn up your way. <laughs> that could be good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, clover is out in people's lawns at the so moment. So we don't want clover? No, you don't want clover. And it, it's odd, I mean, because everyone's lawns haven't grown at the moment, especially with the lack of rain that we've had. I've been talking to lawnmower blokes and they've been saying, you know, they're sitting around twiddling their thumbs at the moment. They've got nothing, you know, virtually to do. Hopefully this little bit of rain we've had today might spark things on for them. Uh, You know, get the the lawns growing for people because it has been very, very dry. But the thing about the clover is at this time of year, as we start to get those, you know, slightly warmer nights and warmer days we've had in the last week or so, the clover will just, bang, it'll come up. The lawn stays dormant, but the clover will start to grow. Oh, right. Yeah, and what happens then, unfortunately, is that uh, that clover patch starts to spread out and starts to kill the lawn Mm. in underneath it. Uh, So we'll just keep on taking over. And I think because it's cold, people aren't mowing. They're not in that mindset to get out there at the moment and have a bit of a spray. And it's the same with bindies as well. I know you like doing the bindi ballet, out to get the paper and stuff like that. No, who doesn't? Well, (laughs) the bindi hot shoe shuffle. It's a a rite of passage here in Australia, (laughs) isn't it? Uh, I send my son out to do it almost every day. No, you know, shoes on. Okay. Yeah, just (laughs) that's just the sort of dad I am. (laughs) But uh, look, it is time to get out there and spray now. I know it doesn't feel like it. You're not out there with a lawnmower. But if you get out and have a bit of a spray at the moment using a selective herbicide uh, that can do bindi and clover, and there's a number of ones on the market, and they all do a very good job, uh, you'll actually clear up those weeds uh, so they're not really a big problem for you as we go into September and October. Right. Yeah. Is that just it's other weeds as well you can get into and... Yeah, so when you get those bindi and clover ones, they, they do a broad range of, of uh, weeds. I'll do some broad leaf weeds as well, like dandelions. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is important uh, because if you let them start to flower and seed, then all of a sudden that, that seed's exploded, bam, it's gone through the rest of the lawn. Uh, what's in underneath there? You know, if you've got your lawn in underneath the, the clover patch, it's dying off. So you need to get in there as early as possible and, uh, and give it a crack now. And it will make your lawn uh, a whole lot better as it... Uh, as it starts to grow on again as well. So the other thing you can do is spray 
uh, you know, now or in the next week or so to avoid it going to seed. Kill yep. that clover. Uh, make sure there's no rain as well. You want at least five hours, uh, you know, of dry time after you've sprayed. I think that should be fine. It should be fine. Well, and then today came along. Mm. Uh, but uh, otherwise, uh, let it start to die off. You'll see that clover start to wither and die after about a week or so. And then maybe wait another week. Uh, and then you'd actually go out and start fertilising your lawn and giving it a water if you want to uh, as the, uh, the warmer weather comes upon us. Right, so don't water now? Don't water now, uh, just let the rain do its job. Um, get rid of the clover if you've got any, the bindies in the lawn, uh, then get out there, water and fertilise and spring the lawn into spring. Right, I think I've got a few of those this- thistle ones growing at the moment. Oh, really? I think rabbits like the thistles. So. Oh, do they? Yeah. Well, I don't think I've got many rabbits or, in my Or area. budgies. So they, they, people give thistles or something to budgies uh, in their cage. I don't, I don't know. That I'm not you, a, you, need, you need to get a bird. I'm, I'm not a bird expert, okay. so to speak. <laughs> and we've got Patricia from Abermain. And Scott, she's got a question about magnolias in pots. Hey, Patricia. I sure do. How can we help you? Hi, Scott. Um, I have two magnolias, little gem, that are just on two years old. Yep. I was given them as housewarming presents when we moved into our new house. Very nice. And I put them in pots. Yep. And the pots are... I'm not very good with some measurements. Uh, the top opening is um, the size of the pot itself, and that's about 50 centimetres, and the depth of the pot is about 50 centimetres or so. It's sort of dug in the ground a little bit. So mm-hmm. they're fairly big pots. But the magnolias are now 1.6 metres high. Mm-hmm. I had a look in a nursery just for interest sake last week and if I was buying them that'd be about two hundred and seventy five dollars. Yeah, yeah. And they're really healthy and flowering continually and um they're brilliant, but I just wonder how long I can leave them in the pot. Yeah, look, those magnolia little gems that you've got, they're a really nice plant, but they will get to about three to four metres tall and, and quite bushy and big, so yep. eventually they're going to outgrow the pot. Yep. Uh, that that said, you can prune them and you know keep them under control and effectively sort of bonsai them. I think what would happen, though, is that they'd sort of get a little bit pot-bound after a while, unfortunately. Yep. I don't have a, um, a, a space problem. Yeah. Um, I just wonder whether I could fertilise them to help them along when it's spring. Um, they get plenty of water, mm-hmm. um, and I have them mulched with sugarcane, but they've had no special attention, and they're just growing beautifully. But I realise that there is going to be a problem um, with them as they get bigger, but we can't plant them in the ground right now because with the drought... Um, there's just no way that I could keep water up to them if I put them in the ground. And we also have uh, very old, very big ironbark trees on our property and they would be sucking any moisture out of the ground. So um, um, I just wondered what I could feed them with. Yeah, so it sounds like you need to give them a little bit of attention. I, I, I like a little bit of attention as well every now and again. Greg sort of leans over gives me a, me a pat on the head if I've done the oh, right thing. It's lovely. It's very sweet of him. <laughs> a few treats every now and then. Yeah, it tosses me. Yeah. You know. I've got easy access to things like horse manure and, and stuff or I'm yep. prepared to buy whatever I yeah. need. Um, they don't appear to be struggling at all at this stage, but, you know, if we have another hot summer with 46-degree days, um, you know, I, I don't want to lose them at, at this stage. 
um, and I know they need more than just plain water. Yeah, look, and that, that's it's really good that they're doing well. Uh, I, I sort of gave a little whinny then when I heard you mention horse manure. Mm. So uh, keep away from that. Certainly don't use horse manure, um, you know, especially when they're a plant that's still in a pot. Yep. Uh, it's just too, far too strong for them. What you oh, best, okay. Yeah, what you're best to do is, uh, you know, go and grab one of the, uh, you know, sort of pelletised fertilisers like Bounce Back, uh, Dynamic Lifter, one of those. Yep. And you can use those about every three months. And then, you know, every so often you can also use a uh, liquid fertiliser like Flourish. Yep. And uh, that, as you're giving it a drink, just use the watering can that time and that gets absorbed in much quicker. So you're giving it that, you know, slow-acting organic fertiliser uh, in the pelletised form and you're also giving it the instant, uh, you know, liquid fertiliser that feeds it very quickly. Yep. Uh, now, the other thing you could actually do, there's one uh, that Flourish do, which is for camellia and azaleas. Oh, okay. And I think that the uh, Magnolia Little Gems would quite like that, you know, that slightly acidic, you know, higher pH, uh, sorry, lower pH that, uh, that is in that uh, particular formula. And it will also promote the, uh, the flowering of the plant as well. Yep. The flowers are really interesting. Mm. I've never um, seen these before. And um, it's just beautiful to watch that bud develop and then open and then 24 hours and it's gone. Yeah. I, I actually think they're a, a plant or a flower that looks better as they're a, sort of a, that beautiful cup-shaped um, bud rather than when they're fully open. Yeah, because yeah. they last so such a short period of time. Yeah. Um, should that little um, thing that ends up in the centre, should you break those off the plant or leave those on the plant? Well, now, that's the, that's the seed of it. Uh, so, look, if you wanted to, you could try and re-sow them uh, and, you know, grow them again. The trouble with doing that, though, is that, you know, when you're growing from a seed, you might not get a, a a perfect replica of the uh, the plant that you had there, so you can, you know you can get what you call a sport. Uh, so oh, okay, it can actually yep. change, yeah. So you know, you, you break them off if you want to, but if you want to try and strike some seed, you can certainly do that. Look, the great thing, other thing about magnolia little gems, like I said earlier, is that they're very prunable. So if people want to, you know, grow them into a hedge as well. Uh, you know, they'll, they'll do very oh, well right. as a hedge. Yeah, so if you've got somewhere where you need some uh, privacy or, uh, uh, you know... Some on acreage, of, yeah, don't need privacy. No, no, you don't. You can almost do anything <laughs> yeah, no, on, the, on no. the acreage. But if you need some wind protection, for instance, they'll also yeah. do that for you. Oh, that's without, you know, Without yeah. taking away, you know, a lot of the sunlight as well. So, you know, they're only four metres high, so and, and you can lop the top off them if you need to as well. Yeah. All right, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. I'll just keep them well looked after for the moment and worry about them perhaps in another year when they get a bit too big to be yeah, absolutely. in the pot. But, yeah, so certainly give them some uh, care and attention yep. and they'll be much happier. I smile when I get my little pat on the head. Yeah. <laughs> well, have another pat on the head for me. Thank you very much, Scott. Thanks, Patricia. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Patricia. It's Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. We've got Robert now from Raymond Terrace and he's got a comment about clovers. Hey, Robert, how can we help you? Yeah, it's, well... Just a comment on yeah. some of your comments. Uh, clover. Now, a lot of people... All right, I'll just to bring you quickly up to speed of my knowledge. I went to and went through high school done in the Leaving Certificate days, agricultural high school yeah. at Nemengar, uh, on a poultry farm, worked around amongst cockies and everything all around the north and northwest New England. Right, clover is not the real negative a lot of people try to make out. Yep, yep. As you, and this is what I wish you to explain to them, that clover, because the nodules on the roots, actually can put nitrogen back into the soil. 
Right, but okay. you should know, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely, and, and you're teaching us all at this point in time as well. <laughs> yeah. Now, the one I feel that is not as... Okay, if it's the old burmetic clover that's got that burry that sticks mm-hmm. in your bare foot, yeah, fair enough, spray them and yeah, kill Yeah, that's, that's nasty but, stuff, yeah. Yeah, but the white subterranean or subclover mm-hmm. with the whitish flower on yep, it... Looks like a little waratah, yeah. Yeah, looks good, gives you green at this time of the year. Let it go, you mow it reasonably often a bit, and it doesn't. The cockyu and buffalo and cooch will come back when it dies off a bit in the warmer weather. Yeah, I, I think. And it helps feed it. I, I think what the problem is, we, we people find, you know, especially just in their urban gardens, is that they don't mow at this time of year. They, you know, they, they put the mower yeah. away almost, and, and so the clover does start to take over and create those bare patches for them. Oh. Yeah, but sometimes you get the lawnmower out and you pick up all the leaves and that. you vacuum clean the lawn. Yeah, yeah, so I guess that's the answer, isn't it? Even though, you know, the, the grass might not necessarily need a mow, just get out there and give it a bit of a tidy up, um, you know, every three weeks or so anyway in winter. Yeah, yeah, and it gets all your sticks and leaves and cleans it up. And and as you said too, you, if you've got dandelion putting seed pods up, you mow them off and they can't see. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, and that's the same with uh, onion grass as well. Uh, yeah. you know, it, it always seems to come up in winter. You know, people go, oh, you know, I've got onion grass all through my lawn, but chances are you've had it all year round. Um, but oh, it's just, there all the time. Yeah, and you're just seeing it come up in, in winter, but you're mowing it away in summer. Mm. Yeah. And I will also back up the other thing. Look, if you can put up with a little bit of smells and you get straight out of the shed chook poo and don't over, don't be too heavy oh, yeah, with yeah, it. Yep. Yeah. Spread it out. Now's the time to start putting it on. Yeah, no, chook is a great organic fertiliser to spread over your lawn. Like you said, you can't, you know, sort of lump it all over there. You have to rake it through. But, uh, you know, I, I think a, a dose of chook manure over your lawn once a year is probably a very good thing just to give it that organic uh, organic matter. Well, sometimes, and this was a thing that I, with my education as well, uh, three or four times and less of is better than a big heap. Yes, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Because, uh, you know, I guess you put a whole lot of stuff, you know, like fertiliser on your lawn in one big hit, and, and a lot of it just leaches back through the soil and uh, isn't necessarily oh, yeah. taken up by the plant. Then you get the rain that washes too far down from the roots. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing is, too, and it'll burn off, and you, all you do is waste money. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, mate, thanks very much for that call. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay, appreciate it, Robert. Thank you. Have a nice afternoon, mate. And we've got Julie from Buller Dealer. And Scott, she's got a question about the peach tree. Hey, Julie, how can we help you? Hello, Scott. Yes, I have a Trixie peach tree. Yeah, you're one of the little little baby ones? uh, I think it could be a Trixie. Um, I got it from the back of the nursery and they they weren't quite sure what it was. But now that it's um, blossomed and got some leaves, it's definitely a peach. And I think it could be a, a tricksy, you know. Um, it's about four and a half feet tall. Yeah. And it's only got two or three little branches, very short branches on it. It's blossomed and it's definitely a peach tree. Um, do you think I should hit it and then should I hit it to kind of make more branches on it? Oh, look, if, if it's only a, a small tree and you're starting to get leaves on it, you might as well give it a, a little tip prune now and uh, let it spread out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, I'm, I'm just casting my mind uh, as to whether Trixie needs a pollinator or not. 
I'd have to do some investigations about that because, as you know, some peach trees do need do need their pollinators. So I'd have to yeah. find out about that one for you. But it's only a little I, dwarf growing one, so it's a nice little tree to have anyway. Yes, I have another dwarf peach, but it's from a seedling, and um, but it's not flowering at the moment. I also have two new peach trees. Uh, one is the white peach, Anzac, yeah. and um, and Alberta as well. But neither of those uh, are even flowering at the moment. They haven't got any leaves or anything. So maybe they're not the pollinators, but I'd be quiet. Yeah, look, I'd have to um, just uh, go... You can go on the Fleming's website. They're the developers of the the Trixie Peach. Uh, So you could probably have a look on there and see if they require a pollinator. But if you've got some other peaches uh, in the garden, then, uh, you know, I'd I'd say that, uh, you know, they will pollinate them anyway. Okay, then. Thanks very much, Okay, that's all right. Not a problem. Good luck with it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers, thanks, Julie. It's Guarding Talk back on to when you are at FM. 49216216 is the number to call if you'd like to ask Scott Sharp a gardening question. Now, Scott, also what you mentioned at the top, basil and tomatoes. Yes, I know you love your tomatoes. I love my basil as well. And you love your chilies. The Italian flavours, so to speak. Yeah, well, it's the, you're a very suave character. I always thought you were some uh, you know, Mediterranean in you there. A little, a little, <laughs> <laughs> I like to call myself Mediterranean Greg, but... <laughs> But it doesn't always work out as planned. I can do, okay, I can see why that might... Uh, and I don't have the complexion for it as well. I can see why that might, might fail for you at the pub on Friday night. <laughs> Every time. Yeah. But look, it is time to um, put in tomatoes and basil. Now we're just starting to get those warmer nights, although today is sort of completely undone what I was going to talk about. That's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've sort of been completely undercut. Lower temperatures today. Yeah, but uh, you know it has been starting to warm up. I've noticed, you know, as you get in the car, we're starting to see days over, you know, nineteen, twenty degrees. You know, we've we've gone away from that sort of twelve, thirteen, fourteen, except for today. And did we have a twenty-five the other day? I think we did. It was yeah, quite warm. Mm. Oh, that's I was away. That's right. I was. I had like minus twenty-five, but I think you had plus twenty-five. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because we heard the reports from up here that people were at the beach. Oh, yeah. I wasn't. No, but it sounded like a nice <laughs> place to be. I'm sure the water would still be chilly, though. So if you want to, uh, you know, start growing some tomatoes, you can get them in now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so you get a nice early cropping out of those, and that will allow you to probably put in another set of plants as well as the year goes on. Hypothetically, uh, yes. what if you already have tomatoes in? Leave them be, then. Okay. Yep, leave them be. Just give, Just do what they keep doing? Yep. All right. Absolutely. They, they look, and the little sweet bite ones, those little sort of cherry ones, they'll just trail across the ground. You can almost leave them alone like a weed and just go out and pick, you know, whatever you need um, from them. They'll self-seed and keep on going for you. Uh, look, one of the uh, the sort of the cooler climate ones is Rouge de Marmon. It's a sort of a flatter tomato. It's very tasty. But uh, look, yeah, the cherry ones as well, certainly put those in, if, um, you know, where they're available. Uh, Gross Liz, if you want to give that a crack as well. Now, the other thing we were talking about was basil. Yep. Uh, of course, it doesn't grow at all in the winter months. It just sort of dies off uh, here in Newcastle. Yep. It just sort of turns black and that's it. Uh, but it is, you know, time to start putting that in again now. As Again, as those nighttime temperatures warm up, your basil will keep on growing for you. If you've got a nice warm spot in the garden as well, with you know, with some pots, uh, you know, where there's some uh, a brick wall, some masonry, yep. uh, and it's getting that western sun, ideal spot to try and grow your tomatoes and basil, you know, for this next you know month and a half uh, until we get into the real warm warm weather again. When it comes to your herbs like your basil's, your parsley's, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Is it better maybe to keep them indoors or? No, they won't do very well indoors at all. Windowsill? Windowsill possibly, 
possibly, but it'd have to be a nice, you know, western-facing windowsill. Okay. Uh, look best outside with your basils and, and all your herbs, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they just don't really like those closed conditions. But if you had, you know, really sunny windowsill and you want to try and keep them going for as long as possible, give it a crack and see what happens. Right. Yeah. I think I might. Yeah. You have some nice greenery in your kitchen. Mm. Yeah. Just, just to prove you're wrong. That's the only <laughs> oh, reason no, why no, I don't, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gardening Talk back on 2NURFM. We've got Steve from Adamstown Heights. And he's got a question about the gardenia. Steve, how can we help you with them? Hi, Scott. How are you going? Yeah, pretty well, mate. Um, that's a shot. Uh, I've got a gardenia, and it's got like a black sooty mould on it. I just didn't know what I could uh, do about that. Yeah, no, look, that, that's very treatable. What you've got, though, is uh, most probably two things. They come hand in hand. Uh, the first thing you've got is scale. And you might, as you have a look over the plant, you might see some little black bumps or... Uh, you know, even if you turn the leaves over, there's a lot of like little green raised nodules all over the back of the leaf, uh, and that's called scale. And scale's a, a little insect that gets blown around by the wind, and uh, it sort of lands on your plant, and then it it holds on there with its little claws, and uh, it starts to form this sort of waxy shell over it. And uh, once it's got that waxy shell, it starts sucking the sap out of your plant, and making it fairly unhappy. Now, what happens with that though? is the scale insect sort of secretes this sugary residue and the ants come up from the ground. They love the taste of it and they bring the sooty mould spores up. So all of a sudden you've got a very unhappy plant. It's got that black sooty mould all over it. You've got the scale Mm -hmm. sucking the sap out of the plant and it's all, it's, um, you know, sort of in a bit of a, you know, sort of death spiral, I guess is the best way to think about it. You know, it's sort of spinning down towards the ground, um, you know, with both of its engines on fire. Uh, look, so you need to get rid of both of those things. Unfortunately, you need two separate, you know, uh, products to get rid of them. You need to get rid of the scale first because that's what's bringing the ants up from the soil. Uh, you use right. a product called anti-scale to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a mixture of white oil and malathon. Uh, you can also right. use eco oil as well if you want to, but if you've got a bad case, you are best to use something with an insecticide in it because the, the oil... Uh, sort of breaks down the waxiness of the shell of the scale and then that allows the uh, insecticide to permeate through and actually kill the little baby insect in underneath. Mm-hmm. Uh, mate, once you've done that, then you get a fungicide uh, like um, copper oxychloride is a good one and you spray that uh, all over the plant as well and you'll find after a couple of days that that black sooty mould starts to sort of dry off and, and you can actually almost flick it off with your fingernail or hose it off if you want to. Uh, and look, mate, if you've got a really bad case, you've got to do the whole thing again in about two weeks' time with the insecticide, the anti-scale, and then the uh, fungicide as well. Uh, look, main thing is don't be shy about using it. Um, you know, really spray it all over the plant, misting in underneath, uh, mm-hmm. because you need to get those scale insects. You want to see that insecticide sort of running down the branches of the plant. Uh, and the oh, okay. same then with the uh, with the with the uh, for the sooty mould with the uh, fungicide, you have to spray that very liberally as well. All right, thanks very much. Scott. Okay, mate. So yeah, give give that two pronged attack a, a bit of a go and see how you see how you fare. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks, Steve. Cheers. Bye-bye. Dennis from Belmont North on the line. He's got a question about pruning camellias. Hey, Dennis, that sounds severe, mate. How can we help you? Hi. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, I've got about three of them in a row. They're just at the end of the flowering stage. They're probably close to three metres high. Um, and I want to chop them down by about a third. Mm-hmm. Can I do that? Absolutely, mate. And you've picked the right time to do it as well as they're coming towards the end of the flowering. 
that's when you, you go at them. Um, and, mate, look, you can go pretty hard. Like you said, a third of the plant, um, you could probably even do a little bit more if you wanted to, but a third is Quite just... Like down to half? Yeah, if you wanted to, yeah, yeah. You'll just find you'll have a bit of a bare plant, though, for a couple of months. Unreal. Yeah, but certainly... So no trouble at all? No trouble at all. Certainly a third. Uh, look, you can hedge camellias. You can, you know, sasanquas, they're the small leaf ones, and japonicas, which are the larger leaf ones. They're probably the ones like this, you, sounds like you've got. Uh, you can hedge them all, so, you know, you can you can really hack at them if you need to. The only thing is, until it warms up, it just takes time for them to, uh, to regenerate and regrow. So you can have a bit of a bare plant if you go too hard. Yep. Do I need fertiliser after that? Uh, look, generally I say just water normally. You don't want to shock the plant. Uh, when you think about it, you've pruned the plant back and you've taken away, you know, a lot of the, the leaf material that's actually going to soak up and use that fertiliser. So if you then go and fertilise, it's actually got no way to, you know, to sort of draw it up gotcha. and use it in the plant. Uh, I'd probably wait a month or so and then give it, uh, you know, some light fertiliser, some cow manure if you wanted to, uh, and then water that in around the plant. That's great. Okay, mate. Okay, gents. Thanks okay. very much Thanks for very that. much. You have a nice afternoon. Fine, Scott. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, we've got Alan now from at Tea Gardens, and he needs advice about growing lemon trees from seeds and also the bush lime. Tell, tell us some more, Alan. Yeah, well, I bought a uh, lemon from Coles, and it just as a joke, I uh, took all the seeds out and let them dry out for a week or so, yep. and I put them all in, and they all came up. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and um, I, I gave a few away... And uh, they all died because they started to put uh, fertiliser on them. You know? yeah. and I, I think I heard you saying once before that no, don't put fertiliser on them yet. Yeah, it's, look, if you've got if you've got a little tiddler like that, you don't yeah you don't fertilise it because yeah, it, it just yeah, can't yeah. it just can't use it, and, and all it ends up doing is burning the plant away. Even if it's little fine hair roots, just burns it away. The you know the leaf material that's tissue is very soft, uh, so it's really got no way to absorb it and utilise it properly. But mate, look, you certainly can grow uh, lemons from seed. Uh, that's not unusual at all. Um, Look, there's uh, a product out there, you know, people have um, grow, been selling Maya um, seed-grown lemons for, for some time now. Um, yeah. Look, sometimes you get some more thorns on them. Uh, they might not be as prolific growers as the ones that are grafted onto wild rootstock. Um, but, look, I reckon with a lemon, they're, you know, they're, you could knock it over with a you know, four-wheel drive anyway and the thing would still keep on growing still for grow. you. Still yeah. <laughs> so, and, and what happens is, you, you know, you get your lemon up to a certain size and you get so much fruit off it, you can hardly use it anyway. Uh, you know, it's just dropping to the ground and you're wasting it. So um, if it's not quite as, um, you know, prolific as one of the, uh, the grafted ones, well, you know, so be it. I think you're still going to get enough lemons off it that you can probably use. Yeah, it's only about oh, about six inches so yeah. far. Anyway, the one I've sort of kept. And I heard you saying something about when it does get uh, a bit larger, something I can use some uh, rose sort of. Uh fertiliser on it because it's in a pot. Yeah, absolutely. There's a product called Sudden Impact. It's actually a rose fertiliser, but citrus love almost exactly the same conditions that um, the roses do, so you can certainly use Sudden Impact. Just on the... Uh, you've said it's only about six inches high and yeah. uh, it's in a pot. Well... Don't go and transplant it. Try and keep it in a pot for, you know, you know a few more months at least. Uh, but never transplant it until you start to see, you know, those roots just coming down through the holes in the bottom of the pot. That's the indication right. to you that, yeah. the, that it's, you know, stable enough to try and take it out of the pot and replant it. 
Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, no worries at all. And uh, my mate gave me a uh, couple of bush limes, mm-hmm. and I have never heard of them before, you know. Like they're, they're like a little mandarin. Yep, yep. Okay. Orange, ain't you, you know? And I'm going to try and grow some of them as well. And I'll just do the same thing as I, I have been doing with the uh, citrus. Yep, absolutely. Look, uh, the other thing... Uh, there's also the finger limes you can get as well, and those bush limes, they, uh, they're actually an understory plant. Uh, you know, they come from up in the tropics. So, uh, you know, if you can get them into a little bit of shade in the afternoon, uh, they'll do quite well um, in those conditions. Oh, it, it, just, so, yeah. it just provides a little bit of shelter from the sun for them because they are, a, you know, like a, a almost a rainforest uh, understory plant. Right. So sticking oh, them out okay. in the full yeah. sun you know, not the best thing for them down here when we haven't got the humidity to, to uh, help them cope. Oh, great. Okay. Okay, mate. Okay, good Thank on you, Alan. Have a nice afternoon. And yourself as well. Thank you very okay. much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Thanks, Alan. We've got Peter on the line from Coal Point. I think we've got time for one more caller. We, we can give it a crack. In it, Peter, and he's got a, he needs advice about transplanting agapanthus. Oh, Peter. How, how can we help, mate? Um, I've got some uh, aggies that have been growing just sort of wild um, in my garden, and I've put a new garden bed in, and I wanted to pull the ones out that have grown wild and stick them in. Yeah. Um, do I... The, the long roots that come off them, do I cut them off? Yeah, look, you may, with Aggies, you can be pretty brutal with them if you want to. Yep. Uh, yeah, just get in there with a spade and cut them out the best you can. You, you often find with Agapanthus, though, when you start getting that clump, they sort of start growing up above the ground. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so what you do is you cut those out and actually bury them back in the soil, you know, so they're... Uh, the soil level is up to the stem of the plant and the roots are uh, buried in the in the soil level again. Yep. And cut the leaves off them? Uh, look, you can if you want to. You'll probably find they'll start to die off anyway. So you can just sort of go and hack across the top. Uh, but they'll, they'll, they'll certainly come back for you. Very tough plant. Yeah, all right. Uh, and feeding azaleas too early? Uh, yeah, no, look, it's all right to feed azaleas now. I, I suspect we're, you know, you're not going to be wasting your fertiliser by using it. Uh, so you can either use uh, straight cow manure if it's in the ground or, you know, one of those azalea and camellia foods. Yeah, beautiful. Okay. Okay, thanks, Scott. Good on you, Peter. Have a nice afternoon. You, you too. Cheers, See you. Cheers, thanks, Peter. Gardening talk back on to when you are FM. Scott Sharp, we're almost out of time for another week. But you did mention something that did catch my ear. Did it? It was bird nests in plants. Yeah. Is that right? Yes, yes. I'm going off my memory, which is obviously terrible. No, well, that was 50 we'll, minutes ago. No, we'll, we'll, we'll turn the light switch on on that, and we'll turn the dimmer up a little bit, so your memory's not so bad. Yes, I was talking about birds nesting plants. Would you would like to expand on that? Well, yeah. <laughs> yes, I will. I won't leave you with uh, 58 seconds of, of dead air here. It's it's going to be a it's, it's a salutary lesson. I almost did this one time. Yep, uh, and I think it's important if you're going to go out and impru- uh, prune your uh, deciduous trees at the moment. Uh, you know the mop top uh, plants you see around a lot. A lot of people are starting to prune them at the moment. Take a look up inside there because often you can have birds' nests sitting up in in that tree, and they're quite evident th- at the moment as well. And you might not want to cut that down if you know there's a magpie or some you know sort of nice bird up in there nesting yeah. away. Especially you want to respect the magpie. You certainly do because they'll come back and and get you at some point point in time. Exactly right. You, you have to wear a bike helmet with those. Any uh, cable ties out there. <laughs> Scott Sharp, I'm sorry, I've got to say goodbye. Oh, okay, so quick. Thank you very much, Scott Sharp. Guardy Talk back, back next week.